All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. It's really good to see everybody. Um, tonight, I do hope that we're going to be able to finish up Genesis chapter 19. Um, this will be the second of uh, uh, part of the doom of uh, Sodom, the doom of Sodom. And so, <clears throat> for those of you who are new to this class or have not part of, been a part of our group, I think I've seen almost every one of your faces. I don't think there's really anybody new in here. But um, we've been studying the life of Christ in the Old Testament, and we've been taking the Old Testament passages and seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, uh, for those of you who have, are not aware of how we've been working that class, if you want to get with somebody else that still has the handout that I passed out to you several months ago, just get you a copy of that. There's plenty of verses and references there to help you to understand what we've been talking about. But today, <clears throat> we are going to try to finish up. Uh, the doom of Sodom, the destruction of Sodom. Um, in the past few months, we have definitely focused on the fact that God is is uh, immutable. What does that? What do I mean when I say He is immutable? He doesn't move. He doesn't change. That's right. God is not changing. So the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There's He doesn't have an attitude change. So people around today are saying, "Well, God's different nowadays. He sees us different than He did in the Old Testament." That's not true. Uh, God does not change. And two things that we definitely know about God is is that God is both just and God is both merciful. He is merciful and just. And that justice and mercy never changes and never alters. And so um, I, I quickly uh, want to open with a word of prayer. We're going to be in, but mainly focusing in Genesis chapter 19 tonight. I mean, yeah, Genesis chapter 19 uh, with some looking at Romans 1 and at 2 Peter 2. But I want to start in the book of Romans really quick. So let's open with a word of prayer um, while I'm praying. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 10, I think it's Romans 10, maybe 9. We'll look there real quick. And I want to, I want to give, give you some background to something we might need to focus on tonight so father thank you (coughs) thank you so much for the blessings that you pour in our lives um your grace and your mercy that has pulled us up out of the mud and the mire and set our feet on the rock that rock being your son jesus christ thank you for loving us enough and caring for us when we couldn't love and care for ourselves thank you for uh, saving us thank you for rescuing us from a world that is trying to kill us uh saving us from the the bondage of sin in our lives. And I just pray that you will continue to help us to walk in your grace and your truth and your mercy. Help us tonight, Lord, dear Lord, as we seek to know you better through a study of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so in the book of Romans, chapter 10, uh, uh, I want you to look. At verse 29, you see, Romans chapter 10, let me make sure I'm not telling you wrong, Romans 11, 29 is where I was looking there, um, make sure I ain't telling you wrong. No, we're in 9. Sorry, not in 10, 9. So turn with me um, to 10. Um, look at verse 18. It says, So then he, this being God, uh, this is Romans 9, verse 18. He, being God, has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Right? 
Now Paul is uh, going to use the molder, uh, the clay, and the potter. Uh, y'all remember the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah went to the potter and saw him making the, the clay pots and the, the potter pounded it out and started back over again and, and God basically said, can I, I not do this with you? And so I want you to think about our hearts as human beings and the fact that God has the ability, because He is our Creator, to mold our hearts. God has the ability to create in you a new heart. That's what David cried out to. Remember, created me a new heart, O God. And so, if you are in this room tonight, and you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, if you are a believer, if you have been regenerated, and you are a child of God, it is because God created in you a new heart. So, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, and God, who had mercy, reached down to that world and said, No, I love you too much to let you continue to live like that and he pulled you up out of this dead and dying world and gave you a new life and all of that was him none of that had to do with you the only part of your salvation that you had anything to do with was the sinning that caused you to need it okay and so look what he says he says so then he has mercy on who he desires and he hardens whom he desires so when we say that god is merciful he is gracious he is loving and kind and compassionate so he says well you will say to me well why does he still still find fault for who resists his will so basically paul is saying this you might ask me now well if he hardens people then why does he send them to hell? Why, why does he do that? Why, like, it's not their fault if he's the one that hardens them. It's not their fault, right? That's what he. So, Paul is kind of playing the devil's advocate here. He's basically saying he's, he's saying uh, he says, why does he still find fault? Because nobody resists his will. So, if it's God's will to have mercy on some people and God's will to harden some then why is it their fault? They didn't resist His will. It was His will for them to be hardened. But what we need to remember is how many sons of Adam are dead in their trespasses and sin? All of them. Right? And so how many of us deserve hell? All of us. So if God hardens someone's heart, are they not getting what they deserve? And if God reaches down in mercy and grace and saves you, are you getting what you deserve? No. Now, whose choice was it to harden some and save others? God. And see, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, on the contrary, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter not have a right over the clay to make for some lumps a vessel of honor and for others of common use? So he's saying, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Whose choice was it to save you? God. Whose choice was it to harden Pharaoh's heart? God's. And who are you to question God about what he does? When you find yourself saying, but that's not fair then you are actually placing yourself in the role that Paul was using when he said, why does he still find fault with me? In other words, Paul was using that argument not to prove God wrong, but to prove God right. right. 
And so what we need to understand is, is that this whole world around you, if you go back to Romans 8, <clears throat> Paul says that this whole world has been inundated with God's wrath and we are under a curse of suffering and pain and death and the whole world is crying out. The very trees and the nature around you is groaning in pain and misery. And who is affected by that? Everyone. And then what Paul says in that is this. The reason that God has subjected us to this futility, to this destruction, to this wrath, is because He is revealing who are His children. You see, when God pours His wrath and His anger down on this world, those who are sons of the devil will clench their fists and grind their teeth and curse God for everything He's worth. A child of God will fall on his face and say, Oh God, this is exactly what I deserve. Please forgive me. See how that works? So it's when God pours His wrath out on the world, He's proving His justice. When God in His mercy and grace reaches down and saves someone from His wrath, He's expressing His mercy. And both of those choices are His. So, what does He say? Look look verse 16 again. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs but on God who has mercy. So our salvation and the hope that we have in eternity is not because of something we have done, it's because of something that God has done for us. And so when we go back now to this Genesis 9 passage, we need to understand that God is expressing His anger towards sin. And God has the right to destroy who He wants to destroy. And God has the right to save who He wants to save. And we'll find out tonight, the reality is, is that Lot is one of His children. It said Lot has a righteous soul. It's not that, it's not that Lot is righteous within Himself, but God has shared His righteousness with Him. God has saved Lot. God is one of His children. You know, and so, God reaches down into that world full of people who deserve destruction. And one, two... Three people out of that whole civilization survive. It's three. And he destroyed everybody else. He didn't just destroy the the Sodomites. He destroyed their families and their children and their whole world. And what we need to understand about this is God hates sin. And our problem is we don't. In our fallen nature, we love it. We love the pride of the flesh, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We love that. And we need to understand that God's attitude towards that does not change. And when you and I indulge in uh, the works of the flesh, when you and I embrace our sensual, lustful natures, when we uh, go back into that world that He has saved us from, He is not happy about it. And He will judge 
And we need to understand that that's, it's a very serious thing. When you read, we're going to look at a couple of passages tonight if we have time. We'll go back to the book of Leviticus and look at some of the things that God calls abominations. And the reality is most of them are filthy. Well, they're all filthy. You know, necrophilia, incest, bestiality, homosexuality. Those things are disgusting. They make you nauseous. Right? But all sin makes God nauseous. The very sins that you and I dabble in every day in our minds and in our works and our deeds and our thoughts and our emotions and the way that we live our lives. We dabble in those things every day. And we need to understand that when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus did not come. The first sermon that Jesus preached, you go look at Mark in the book of Mark. The first thing, this is what Jesus said. Jesus didn't come and say, I've come to love all of you and give you a big cosmic hug and make everything okay. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. He said, turn away from the wicked lives you are living and turn to me or you will be destroyed. And that was Jesus' message. Jesus preached on hell way more than he preached on heaven. But I want you to think about it. Jesus preached on hell more than he preached on heaven. But this is the reality. In his grace, that preaching on hell scared the hell out of his children. And they turned away from their sin and turned back to his mercy and his grace and forgiveness. The children of the devil grinded their teeth and bawled their fists at him. And hated him for what he said. I can remember a time in my life in an early age where I ran down an aisle to be saved because I didn't want to go to hell. But that's not the reason that we need to repent and turn from our sin. The reason we need to repent and turn from our sins is because there's a Savior who loves you and poured his blood out on the cross to pay for all of that wickedness. And you're either going to embrace your wickedness and see his justice or you're going to turn from your wickedness and see his mercy and his grace. And what you do with your life is going to be a proof of if you're his child or not. And so when we see this city of Sodom being destroyed, we don't need to take it lightly. And and God forbid you or I look down our nose on them. Because Jesus actually comes along later and he says, hey, if... The people in Sodom had seen the works that I've done among you. They would have repented. And sat calling ashes. Like you people are more wicked than they were. Is what he was telling that crowd. And he's speaking to me and you today too. And so remember, when you point your finger at other folks, you've got three pointing right back at you. And if you're thinking about the sins of other people as we read through this, you need to check yourself because you can't see them unless they're in you too. And it's very easy for me as a heterosexual man to look down on gay folks. But the reality is is my lust is just as sinful as theirs. Now, if I wanted to try to to ease my conscience, I'd say, well, it's not quite that bad. But Jesus had to pour his blood out for that just as much as he had for anything else. So we need to remember that. So let's look. Um, before we go back to the Genesis 19, turn back to what we read uh, last time we were together. Look at Romans 1. Just a reminder that God's wrath, one of the greatest expressions of God's wrath towards mankind, other than fire and brimstone and eternal hell, which is serious stuff, 
is eternally serious stuff. One of the greatest ways that God expresses His wrath towards you and I and towards the world around you is by turning us over to our own desires. He turns you over to your lust and what you want to do. That's what He did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He turned them over to their own desires. Instead of choosing what He wanted for them, they chose what they wanted for themselves. And it brought destruction on them and the whole world. And the same thing happens with you. So look at Romans chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what is men doing with the truth? They're suppressing it. What did we say last time we were together? Suppressing means to push it down, to stick your fingers in your ear and say, la, 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 I can't hear you. To push it down and say, I don't want that. I don't care. I don't want to hear the truth. They willfully spread through because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident in them. God created us in His image. And because we are created in His image, we are aware of who He is. Everyone. Even little children are aware deep down inside that there is a God. Because we were created in His image, we can't get away from that reality. They knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish hearts were darkened. So remember what Paul said here is, this is the wrath of God being revealed towards men. And what does it look like when God reveals His wrath? He turns them over to their own desires. They willfully suppress His truth, professing to be... Well, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Right? If every one of you can't see this in your own life at some time in your life, then you do not understand God's grace and His salvation. Because to whom, uh, it, to those, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who know what His grace is about, those who realize... One of the greatest gifts God will ever give you as His child is the ability to see things from His point of view. To see yourself for what you really look like. And don't ever get above that. A child of God never needs to get above a life of constant repentance. And as you continue to grow in your life, you will become more sensitive if you walk with Him and you study His Word, you pray to Him, you trust Him and you walk with Him. As you grow and are conformed to the image of His Son, you are going to become more and more aware of the sin in you. You're going to become more sensitive to it. These people that sin, they don't become sensitive to it. What does it say? Their hearts are darkened. They become callous. Their consciousness becomes seared. They can't even feel it anymore. They don't even know they're doing it anymore. And it's all God's wrath being poured out on them. It's not like they just uh, say, oh, you know what, I think I'll just be more evil today. They willfully suppress the truth of God, and by that, by turning away from God, just God just turns them over to it. Just like He turned this whole world over to destruction. And what happens when God turns this whole world to destruction? The children of men, the the the, uh, the seed of the serpent, the devil's kids, curse God and turn their back and run and continue to willfully suppress the truth and continually run away from Him. But His children realize they're lost, 
They realize they're sinners. They realize that they're wicked. And they realize their desperate need for God's forgiveness and grace in their life. And they turn from sin and self and turn to Him. So even by Him pouring out His wrath on this world, it's like... Uh, you ever seen the old uh, gold miners that go and pan for gold? It's like God's wrath is is sifting this world. And His, his children are, are coming to the surface. You see how that works? Yeah. Right, so... Uh, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to the impurities, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. All right? So what did they do? Instead of worshiping the Creator, they turned to the creation. Birds and bees, flowers, trees. All of the old gods and goddesses of the Romans and the Greeks, if you look at all of them, they all act just like men, just like me and you. Right? When you, when you see the gods of the, uh, the mythology and things, those gods get angry, they cheat on their wives, they, they do bad things, they, get, they play jokes on people, they're, they're, they're like us. So watch what's happening here. What he's saying is, is that in his wrath he turns man over to himself, and because he turns his back on God, instead of worshiping God, he worships the creation instead of the Creator. And so, the final... What, what is it called when we turn our backs on God and worship the creation? What is that called? Idolatry. Idolatry. And what's the first sin? What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Well, that's the greatest commandment, but the first commandment is what? No other gods you shall have, I'm a jealous God, and you shall have no other gods. Right? And what is it that gets Israel in trouble all the time? Idolatry. What is it that gets you in trouble? Idolatry. What does, uh, what does I start with? Ah. Right? The greatest false god in your life is that handsome fellow or pretty lady you look at every morning in the mirror when you brush your teeth. That is the greatest source of idolatry that there is. We, we suffer from, and there was an old preacher back in the day, he said we suffer from perpendicular itis, right? Everything's about us. Mm-hmm. We're egocentric. And that's a judgment from God. We've got to turn away from sin and self, and we've got to turn to God and His grace and mercy and His forgiveness. So he says, watch what he says, they exchange the truth of God for lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. In verse 24 again, though, look, He gave them up to the lust of their, what? hearts and because of that their bodies become dishonored right so as a man thinketh in his heart so is he out of the mouth flows the issues of the heart I can promise you that what's in your heart will come out of your mouth what you believe you will walk it out not what you tell everybody you believe when you're standing in Bible study but what you really believe deep down inside of you is going to come out in your life what you believe is going to be your walking testimony. And you can say you believe anything you want, but if you, it's, you're going to prove it. You're going to prove who you are. And so what happens? Their hearts become darkened, so their lives become darkened. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, because they did this, right? That's what it says. For this reason, because they turned their back on God and began to worship the creation instead of the creator, God gave them over to degrading passions. 
For the women exchanged their natural functions for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, men abandoned their natural functions of the woman and burned in their desires one to another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their errors. All right? That is the God of the New Testament. And he hates homosexuality. Period. You can't cut it out of your Bible. It's the same sin that he addresses in Leviticus, and it's the, he has the same attitude towards it today that he did then. And the shame is, is that most of our modern pulpits today are not only embracing it, but they're encouraging it. Why? Because their foolish hearts are darkened, and they are worshiping the creator, creation instead of the Creator, and God is turning them over to their own desires. And if you don't get off that train, you will crash with it. You have to turn away from sexual sin. And again, guys, I'm not just pointing at homosexuals. There ain't a man in this room that doesn't struggle with lust. And I can promise you this. At 53, it don't get any easier than it was when it was 17. I thought it would, but it don't. It's a struggle. It's just as much a struggle when you, you struggle with your lust and your passion and your desires as it was to get away from the world that you were living in before God saved you. But here's the truth of the matter. Had God not saved you, you would have never got out of that world. And if God does not break the chains of sin that hold you, you won't get out of it. Your willpower is the problem, not the solution. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. Because if it's up to my will, I'm going to sin. Now, God has saved me and He has given me a new heart and He has filled me with His Holy Spirit and He has given me a desire and ability to turn away from sin that I did not have before. The difference in me now in 17 was at 17 I embraced my sin. I chased after it. Now it grieves me. Now I fight with it. I struggle with it. And that's what a child of God does. There's not a one of you in this room me included, there's not a single one of us here that's ever going to be perfect. You are going to struggle with sin to the last day that you draw breath on this earth. But in Christ, you're more than a conqueror. In His power and in His will, you will be conformed to the image of His Son. And it's going to be an ugly, ugly confirmation. Remember that potter pounding that clay and molding that clay is not a pretty thing. It's going to be painful. It's going to be sore. You're going to struggle. But it's going to be in His power, not yours. But these people that we're reading about here in Romans 1, they're on their way to hell. And they don't care. Because God has turned them over to their own desires. And just as they did not see the fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved minds to do the things which are not proper. They were being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who do such things are worthy of death, not only do they do them, but they give hearty approval to others who practice the same. So, what is he saying? He's saying the world around you is under his judgment. And but for the grace of God, there goes I. 
If it wasn't for His grace, I would be right there. And if it wasn't for His continued grace, I would fall into it. We're going to see, now we're going to go back to this Genesis passage, and we're going to see that the angels literally had to grab Lot by the hand and drag him out of that city. Lot has embraced the lifestyle of Sodom. And what it tells us in the passage we're going to read tonight in 2 Peter is, is that this living in this wicked world that he was in, he vet, his righteous soul was vexed. He become powerless against sin. He become powerless against uh, the the ways of this world. He would, you know, it's it's like a I, I don't know the proper image, but it's like a spider web, like just taking over and just covering you up and like enclosing you in it and and putting you in bondage where you can't fight anymore. And and it's and the only thing that can break that bondage is is Christ Jesus and and His Holy Spirit. The only thing that can separate us from this world and from our lust and from our desires and from our fallen nature is His Holy Spirit and His truth and His grace and His mercy. And we need to lean on that every day. And that's what uh, Lot needs to learn, but he's not going to learn it, is he? So let's go back and look at that Genesis 19. So remember, when we're looking at this passage and we're seeing Sodom destroyed. There's a reason why the town of Sodom was named Sodom. Alright? And God hates it. And He's destroying it. But even in that wrath, His grace is being revealed in it. Because He's reaching down there and grabbing a man and his two daughters that don't deserve it and pulling them out of that destruction and saving them from that destruction. So let's look at it back at that Genesis 19 passage again. Um, we're going to see some warnings. We're going to see some warnings from the angels and we're going to see them literally grab Lot and pull him out. So, uh, let's start, we'll just start with 19.1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting at the gate. Lot saw them. He rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to them. He said, Behold now, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise and go on your way. And they said, Howard, no, but we will spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside with him and entered his house. He prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, y'all remember we talked about this last week? We're looking for Christ in the Old Testament. Unleavened bread is a picture of of, uh, 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 bread without leaven is is a picture of sin, uh, being without sin. Right, uh, we see the, the Passover meal and that unleavened bread. We see the Egyptians, uh, the the Israelites uh, running, fleeing from Egypt, and they made unleavened bread to take with them, to carry with them, to cook, to have for food. Remember, and so in the Bible, what is Egypt a picture of? The world. What is the uh, Pharaoh a picture of? The devil. And they were enslaved in Egypt. Right, and through the Passover lamb, through that lamb being slain and that blood being placed over the doors, they were set free to leave the bondage and the slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh's power and head towards the promised land. And so it's a picture of God's redemption in our life. Through his blood, we have redemption. We're saved through that and, uh, we, we partake of that, that, uh, his body, you know. And so when we see that unleavened bread, that would definitely help us to think of Christ. But, it says, 
before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both the young and the old, all the people from every quarter. They called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who have come to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. All right? and, and it says, But Lot went out uh, to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters which have not had relations with man. Please let them bring them out. Let me bring them out to you and do with them whatever you like, only do not nothing uh, to these men in so much as they have come under the shelter of my roof. And we talked about this last time we were together. We talked about the, the in the Middle Eastern culture back at that time and even today, the, the guest host relationship is a very precious thing and that uh, a man was judged on based on how he could take care of his guests, how he could take care of his family, how he could take care of his bride, and how he could take care of guests that he had in his home. And so it was, he would have rather seen his daughter be taken than to violate the protection that he was providing for these two men, these two angels. All right. Uh, and, and again, that's skewed and weird, and we don't understand that in the culture that we live in today. But it was just a fact. So Lot went out uh, to the doorway, shut the door. He said, Please, brothers, please, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. All right. Why is he calling them brothers? Are they his brothers? No, they're not his brothers at all. Abraham is his uh, uncle and family. But these these people here, but he's lived there so long that he has become acquainted with them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. How many people you go and walk up to and like, what's up, bro? And you, you've got no more to do with that person than a man on the moon. But it, mm-hmm. but but you greet them that way and, it, and there's, there's some feelings of camaraderie and companionship there. And the reality is, is we we snuggle up to the world in so many ways that we have no business doing. I can tell you that in my own personal life, my own personal testimony, when God first began to work in my life, uh, I, I, I was really on fire for the Lord, and and I got really frustrated with the organized church. Yeah. God, don't ever get frustrated with organized church. The organized church is the body of Christ. Okay. But I didn't think they were doing things the way that I thought it should go. I was aggravated with them. They wouldn't listen to me. I, I you hear the, the theme behind that. And so what I decided was that I could go downtown and, and uh, sit at the coffee houses and places like that and, and preach the gospel to people out in the streets, which there's nothing wrong with street evangelism. But nobody listened. For like two years, I went to coffee, I preached and tried to get people to let nobody listen. So I got aggravated with that. And then I got the bright idea that if I could just get back into the clubs and find my old friends, I could save them out of there. Well, what do you think happened? I fell right back into my sinful life. And it was, it was slow and it was deceptive and I didn't see it coming. But I was just like, you know, you remember when Jesus said they cast the demons out of the guy and and, and then the demons come back later and say, oh, look at this clean house and then more got in. You know, it's like when you when you continually embrace your, your fallen nature, the devil will be more than happy to oblige you. And so will the world. And so when you go up and embrace yourself to the world and call it brother, you've got problems. Because we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are foreigners. This world is not our home. But our tendency is to get along and agree with people. And we like the things of this world. And that was Lot's problem. And so he says, um, 
They said, Please let me bring them out to you. Do with them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men. Now, verse 9 says, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat, treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. So they're going to just rape him too. And what do they say? Who are you? You don't belong to us. You're not one of us. And now you're going to come in here and try to judge us and tell us how to live our lives? You see? Those guys that he had just called brother have now turned on him, haven't they? Because the moment you begin to stand for what's right is the moment that what's not standing for right is going to turn against you. And you have a lot, listen guys, every one of you in this room, you're suffering or, or, or struggling or, or coming out of uh, and, uh, addictions and reco- you're in a recovery center and you got a lot of friends back home that are still de- uh, uh, neck deep in, in drugs and, and sure. the world. And when you get out here, they'll be your best buddy. Mm-hmm. But the moment you try to start bringing up, and they're happy for you too. Oh, they're happy you're getting your life together. But as soon as you get out there and start shining a light, they're going to turn on you like a snake. Because they don't want to let go of their sin. They don't want to let go of this world. And there's a part of each and every one of you in this room, me included, that don't want to let go either. And so I need to make sure that I treat sin like a snake. You know, you I don't know how many of you have ever been walking around and almost stepped on a snake, but you move, Bubba. Especially if it's a poisonous one. Mm-hmm. First of all, you don't care what it is when you first see it. You jump back. Mm-hmm. But if it's poisonous, you definitely make sure you step back. Right? And the reality is, it's because God put a fear in you for snake. And that's a, it's not a bad thing. Right. If a lion comes in a room, we all run out of here, right? That's, not, that's smart. <laughs> but you live in a world of people that are embracing things that are destroying them. And they are deluded. They're darkened. They're caught up in it. They're in bondage to it. And they don't want to be set free. That's what Paul means when he says, but for the grace of God, there go I. And we don't need to look down our nose on people because had God not broken those chains, we'd still be there with them right now. It's only by God's grace that I'm not still there. And we need to realize that it's only God's grace that's going to get them out of where they are. And it's only God's grace that only works through the preaching of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to set them free. It's not going to be you going and embracing them and hugging them and telling them God loves you. That's not going to save anybody. What did Jesus preach? Repent for the kingdom of the hand. And I can tell you that most of us in this room are not willing to go back to our old crowd and say, hey guys, you're destroying yourself. You need to turn away from those things you're doing and stop acting stupid. Quit going to the bars. Quit sleeping around. Quit doing that stuff. You're not going to go tell them that. Because the moment you do that, then you're going to go from bro to alien. And so, lots in a pickle here, and these men have now turned on him. Uh, but it says, the men reached out their hands, they brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. So the angels bring him in the house. They struck the men who were in the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Right? So think about that. These men have been struck blind. 
That sounds a lot like Romans 1, doesn't it? They're blinded in darkness. And what did that blindness look like? Paul said in Romans, he said this, God created man in His image and man tries to flip that on his head and create God in His image. He says, God, you're going to be like this because this is how I want you to be. And again, when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to the the sexual sin of homosexuality, this is man saying, I don't care how you made me, I'm going to flip this on his head and do what I want to do. God made me, God, you made me this way, I don't care. I'm going to make me the way I want to be. And so this this sexual sin is an abomination in God's eyes. And it's one of the, if you read that passage, what you see is, it's one of the last stages of that wrath and that blindness that comes on mankind. Like he really, he literally takes the body that God gave him and instead of using it for the purposes that God gave it to him for, he flips on its head and uses it to honor himself instead of God. You see how that works? And it, it literally is. So what you see in this world running around you right now, and I mean, it, every stinking movie in there about on TV now has got a gay couple in it. Every show that you watch is pushing that agenda everywhere. It's all around you and they're trying to cram it down your throat. Why? Because they're in darkness and they're trying to stamp out the light. And it is literally one of the last ditch efforts of a lost and fallen world to thumb their nose at God and spit in His face. And we need to hate it like He does. And now again, you'll hear people say, well, you hate the sin, but not the sinner. Well, I got news for you. God is going to throw the sinner in hell. We need to cry out for God's mercy and grace in those people's lives. We need to cry out that He opens their eyes to His truth. And we need to recognize that it's only through the preaching of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that His grace works. And what's one of the problems with that for me and you? The problem is is that the moment that we start saying that, the moment we start preaching His Word the way it's written, is the moment we go from bro to alien. All sin is abomination to God. And but for the grace of God, there goes I. So when I'm calling someone out and, and asking them to repent, or not asking them to repent, I'm telling them that God commands them to repent. I'm doing it because I love them. And one of the greatest expressions of love, well, the greatest expression of love that you and I have as children of God is to tell people the truth. And that's what the angels are doing for Lot right now. They're telling him the truth. God is fixing to destroy this place. You see his wrath being poured out on these people right now. They're literally blinded and they're trying to rip open his doors and his windows and trying to get in. 
They're like zombies. It's like a zombie apocalypse trying to come into that house. And they all just want to rape them and, and hurt them and abuse them. Why? Because the, the darkness can't stand the light. And so God in His grace and His mercy is reaching down into Lot's life and, and saving him right now is what He's doing. So it says, The two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. For we are going to destroy this place because their outcry has become a great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. <clears throat> Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughter and said, Up, oh, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he appeared to his son-in-laws to be jesting. Some of the people that are going to misunderstand you the most is going to be your family. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest things to grasp as a child of God is, you remember a statement that Jesus made when he was in a house teaching and uh, a guy come up to him and say, "Hey, your mom and your brothers are out uh, are outside the door. They want to see you." And what did Jesus say? Who are my brothers? Who are my brothers? The ones that hear my word and do my will. That's my brothers and my mother and my sister. So the obligation is to my eternal family. And some of the greatest opposition that you're going to run into is going to be your earthly physical family. Pray for them. Allow them to see God's conforming work in your life. Pray for them. Plead for them. Because they're groping at the doors. They're blinded. Now, I want to give you some hope here. God saved you. And He can save your brothers and your sisters and your mom and your dad. The power of His grace is beyond our ability to even understand. And it's not for me to decide who He's going to save anyhow. My job is to share the gospel with all creatures and let the Holy Spirit do His work. Mm-hmm. And you're going to share that, that word with people and some people that's going to harden and some people that's going to cause to repent. And that's God's business. You're to share the gospel with everybody. You let the Holy Spirit do the sorting. Right. So, Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law. They all thought he was joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters um, who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment. He hesitated, so the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him and brought him out and put him outside the city. So the angels literally had to drag them out of the city. Even his own daughters and wife wasn't coming. And he didn't want to go. Even at the very, like, brink of destruction, he was unwilling to let go of the world. Right? And every one of us in this room can identify with him. Because most of us are so hard-headed and so hard-hearted that it literally takes threats of prison, uh, threats of dying, physically dying, loss of everything that is precious to us to wake up to the fact that we're destroying ourselves. And even then, most of the time, we don't. And so, 
They've lost everything that's precious to them, and they're running out of the city. It says when they brought them out to escape for their life, they said, Do not look behind you and do not stand anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said, Oh no, my lord. Now behold, your servant has found, if I found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. He's still not trusting in God, is he? Is God going to allow him to be destroyed? No. God said, I can't destroy the city till you're out of there. So is God going to, when he runs out of there, zap him with the rest of it? No, he's going to wait till he gets away from it. But he's just not trusting God. Oh, no, I can't make it all the way to those mountains. Just let me go to this little place. Therefore, so hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Any of y'all ever heard of a cult, uh, a religion called Zoroasterism, right? It's originated from, it's, it's a sun worship uh, type thing. It originates from where he went to. But... Uh, it says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, and the Lord from the Lord out of heaven. Now, notice that. Where's Jesus? Right? We're looking for Jesus. Look what it says. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven. Talk about the Trinity there, right? That's the Father and the Son, both, isn't it? You, you see that again? The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven. He's doing his father's will, isn't he? Okay. And it says, Now Abraham rose early in the morning and went out to the... Oh, first of all, but his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So what happened to his wife? She died. Like She was destroyed. Um, and it says, Now Abraham rose early in the morning and went out to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley and he saw and behold the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of the furnace. Now here's Abraham, the one trusting God. And he's away from the destruction, isn't he? He's just viewing it from afar, right? And and so uh, it says he looked down, smoke, uh, land ascended, smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the city of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities of which Lot lived. So in, in one sense, the covenant that God cut was with Abraham, and Lot was one who in faith went with Abraham when he left his home country. The ramifications of that, or the implication of that is that Lot is a believer. Mm -hmm. Lot has been granted the right. Remember what Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Well, Lot believed God too because he packed up and went with Abraham and left his country. But the difference being as Abraham continued to trust God and Lot as a believer began to dabble in the world. All right, so I got like two or three minutes left. I just want to remind you of two quick things. Where's Jesus? Right, if you look at verse 26, but his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. What is the second shortest verse in the Bible? No, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Remember Lot's wife. That's exactly right. And what is the point of that? Why did Jesus say that? Well, if you go back and read it, it's in Luke 17. And we're not going to go there. We don't have time tonight to go there. But in Luke 17, Jesus is warning uh, the, His disciples that there is destruction coming upon Israel. Uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Israel. Sure. There is a destruction coming. And He said, when you see it coming, get out of there. Yeah. Flee. Run. 
and remember Lot's wife. Don't even turn around and look back. Okay? So, what is the message behind Lot's wife looking back? What is the point? Okay, I'm going to say this as lovingly. I say this in love, and I hope that you will take it that way. But I have some dear brothers who are dead today because they look back. Mm -hmm. All right? I say that in love. They're good guys. And I'm, I'm most certain that they're believers. But every one of us in this room struggle with looking back. And we don't remember all of the heartache and the heartbreak. We don't remember the pain and the misery. We don't remember the suffering. All we remember is the pleasures of sin in a season. We don't remember the broken homes. We don't remember the uh, begging for food, not having money to pay our bills, family and friends hating us, turning their backs on us. We don't remember what it was like to have empty pockets and empty hearts and empty minds. And God has saved us from those things. And Lot's wife is a person who turns back and constantly looks back on the destruction that they left behind. And so what happens? It will consume you. You continue to look back and you can't run. That's what happens to all the bad guys, the, the, all the, the, the heroes in the horror movies, right? They run in front of the bad guy, and when they turn around, they trip over a hoe or a rake or something, and it's all over, right? Don't look back. I don't know why they can't get away from the lake. Just get in the car and leave. Go somewhere else. Don't stand around there and talk about the guy getting you, right? And it's the same way in our lives. Guys, every day on social media, I'm inundated with my old life. Like I still see, I see, I see friends that I had sincere and intimate relationships with, people that I loved and cared about, that are still destroying themselves, that are still lost and still blind, and I constantly look back and remember all the good stuff. And the reality was there wasn't much good stuff. And the fallenness in me and the fallenness in this world around me wants to embrace those things. It wants me to look back. Um, I'll finish with this last little uh, example, and then we will uh, we'll, we'll continue some more on this next time I come, which will be next month. But um, <clears throat> have any of you? It's funny because I read an article to give an illustration of what it looked like to be Lot's wife and looking back. And the example they use is something that I've done a lot, well, not a lot, but several times in my life. I've thought about what would happen if I woke up in the middle of the night and my house was on fire. Like, what would I grab? Like, I think this Bible, this is, this Bible is very precious to me, and like, I, I, I probably have. Well, I have a lot of money invested in my theology, like in my belief. Like that's probably one of the main things I spend my money on is books. I like I, I literally should have probably bought a put a down payment on a house, uh, but instead I, I bought parchments. You know, remember Paul said, "Remember the parchment." And so I got books everywhere, and I lay there in my bed thinking, "Well, I would definitely want to get my cat and my dog out of the house. Like I, I love them." Yeah, and then I would probably grab my computer hard drive. Yeah, I, I think about these things. What would I grab? But the reality is, is what the, the illustration said was, you're in there trying to grab all of that stuff out and the roof is going to collapse on yeah. you. Mm-hmm. 
Like when the house is on fire, the material things don't matter anymore. Get out. And that's what it means. That when Jesus was preaching at the crowd and saying, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. This is what he was saying. God's mercy and God's justice is in your face. Now what are you going to do with it? Are you going to embrace His grace or are you going to know His wrath? And every one of us in this room need to be able to answer that question every day. And when we turn like Lot's wife and look back on our old lives, we're asking for wrath. And it's that serious. Mm -hmm. So, let's close with a quick prayer. Uh, Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this time together. Um, As much as I, Lord, would love to impress upon every heart that hears this, how abominable and eternally damnable sin is, it's only You and Your Holy Spirit that can impress upon our hearts the reality of our sinful nature and this wicked world around us. My prayer is that You will continue to help each and every one of us in this room to embrace Your grace and your mercy to turn from your judgment and your wrath to live in the reality that your son Jesus died to save us and in the beautiful promise that your Holy Spirit will conform us to his image. And so I pray, I pray you will give us the strength, Lord, to see times in our lives uh, where our minds and our eyes are turning back to our past. Uh, Help us to remember Lot's wife. Help us to remember the destruction and the misery and the pain that we've left behind and keep our eyes focused on the glory of your eternal kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.